I was having a hard time this morning, actually. Uh, as I was putting the finishing touches, I, the, I, I couldn't think of an intro. You guys, if you've been here long enough, you know I usually tr- like to tell one story and then finish with that, but I just couldn't figure out which one was better. So uh, with your permission, I'll tell two stories that I hope maybe illustrate more or less the same thing. So I don't know if there's anyone here who can relate with me. Uh, I live here on 39th Avenue, right? And when I uh, want to go home or where my family lives, to Orlando or to where the conference is or something, I come out of 39th Avenue, I make sure that I head south, right? So I can get to Orlando, right? However, this particular week in my life, um, not this, but this week that I'm talking about, I had been uh, going to meetings at Kalakua every day for like three or four days. Just, we had meetings in the morning, meetings in the morning, meetings in the morning, and then come back, right? So now I want to go home, I want to visit, and I think that I know best, right? And so I never put in the GPS, and even if the GPS is on, I, don't, I turn it off, right? So I like, because of pride or something, I don't know. And I'm driving, and I, <laughs> I get to where you can either go north or south, And because I wasn't paying attention, because I was doing my own thing, I thought I knew better, I wasn't listening to anybody else, I went north. Now, if you guys are familiar, which I believe you are, you know that that's a, if if you're late for something, that's a terrible mistake to make because uh, this is exit 390. The next exit is Alachua, and uh, that's nine miles away. So you got to drive the nine miles just upset with yourself, right? Takes about 10 minutes. And you got to get off and get back on and then drive 10 more minutes, still upset with yourself before you can really start your trip. You see, I had the right intentions, but I went the wrong way, right? So here's the second story. Maybe you like this one better. Have you ever seen these videos of these uh, 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 young boys or girls and they're playing baseball or t-ball or something and they've been practicing at home for a while, mom or dad's been putting them through drills and and it's their time up at bat and, and they just smack the ball, and it goes far into, like, left field or something, right? The, le- the outfielders, they didn't catch it, so there's plenty of time for the young boy or girl to make their way around the bases, and they do, except they go from home to third to second to first to home. It doesn't count. Great intentions, but they went the wrong way, right? The book of Galatians uh, is about the gospel. In fact, the beginning of Galatians, what we're going to talk about today, some of your Bibles might have the label which says there is no other gospel, right? This is what I like to call the good, good news, right? Uh, John 3.16, if you are visiting for the first time and you have never heard of the gospel, uh, I am honored to be able to explain it to you, right? Whenever you want to know about the gospel, one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible is this verse called uh, uh, John chapter 3, verse 16. Most people who've grown up in the church know it by heart. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you want to know what the good news is, that's it in a nutshell, Right? The, 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 the condensed gospel, John 3, 16. This word gospel comes from a Greek word, evangelion, right? It's actually where we get the word evangelism from, right? You're spreading good news. Uh, and the reason is it literally translates to good news. In Greek, when you heard that word, somebody was saying, hey, I have good news for you. 
And so why is it that we need good news? You might be saying to yourself, well, you know, my life's not so bad. My bills are paid. My, my car has gas in it. I had a good Thanksgiving meal with my friends and my family. Things aren't going bad. What good news do I need right now? Well, uh, it goes all the way back to the beginning, right? The beginning of the Bible lets us know that uh, God created a world so perfect, so, so perfect, but Adam and Eve, the first humans, they messed up, right? They ate the, uh, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and in so doing, sin entered this world, right? And uh, we have all uh, sinned, right? Uh, the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Well, if you're tracking with what I'm saying, if we've all sinned, and we're going to get to that verse later, if we've all sinned, and the wages of sin is death, well, then I have bad news for you. The bad news is that you are destined for an eternal death. But then, Evangelion comes in, the good news comes in, and says that God so loved the world, he gave, right? Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Even in the beginning, Adam and Eve sinned, right? The wage of sin is death. Something died in their place that day. It says that when God came and he talked to them, he, he put like clothing on them, right? Back then, clothing came from animal skins. So something died for them to be clothed, right? They realized their nakedness and they were ashamed. The wages of sin is death. And we move on. The word of God the law of God scribed onto stones, the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses. If you break the law, you have sinned, right? Because God and sin are like oil and water. They cannot mix. They cannot cohabitate. They're just opposite of each other, right? And so if we have sinned, we have become the oil to God's water, right? That we, there's a separation there. We cannot be together. You may shake everything up, but eventually it will separate. They cannot coexist. And sin stains. Once you've done it once, it's with you forever. One of the things, um, one of the things I hear most often, and I didn't know this until like, I really started pastoring, were people who it's, and it's funny, you hear, you read it in the Bible, but people who will tell me with confidence, well, I have not sinned in 20 years. Good job, I guess. <laughs> but what were you doing 21 years ago? You know what I mean? Once it happens once, it's with you forever. It stains like grape juice on a white shirt. You cannot get it out. Now somebody say, well, pastor, I have the trick to get out. That's not the point. Stay with me. <laughs> and so to make things right, God introduced what we call the sacrificial system. All right. I, I, some of you know this and you're already like way ahead of me, but I do this for those who may not know or need a refresher. And I hope that's okay. There, are, there was a sacrificial system that God put in place. Right. And what he did was that to illustrate what sin does, they would take a lamb who had done nothing wrong. It's a lamb, right? Spotless, blameless. And what they would do is that lamb would symbolically take on the sins of the people, 
They would slay that lamb, and they would go throughout their system, thus symbolically cleansing the people, and they were made right with God. And we move on to the gospel. We see that Jesus now becomes the lamb, not symbolically, in fact. He literally became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 lets us know that he became sin that knew no sin. And in his death upon the cross, he took all of sin. He became sin. And so when sin died, right, it has no power over us anymore. When something dies, when, like say you're in, uh, uh, God forbid, let's say you are in, uh, actually, let's, this is probably a better one. In uh, Nazi Germany, right? In Nazi Germany, read up on your history, you know that Adolf Hitler eventually took his own life. That was a person with incredible power. People would lay down their life for him. They'd do anything to the, to the point where, and we're not going to get into all of that, but he committed probably uh, in the modern age the worst atrocities that we have ever, ever seen. But people were willing to listen to him because they were scared of him. He had power, right? But he takes his life. And even though he wasn't there, he has no power over people at all because he's not around. They still continued to you know, act out on those things until finally the end of the war. When something dies, it has no power over you at all unless you allow it to continue to have power over you. Are you following with what I'm saying? Good. On our own, we are headed for destruction. Romans 3:23 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. That's that's the problem, right? Even if you haven't sinned in 20, 30, 40 years, we've all done it at least once. We are all filled with blame, right? We have that on us. There's nothing we can do. It stains. And it's with us forever and the wages of sin is death. We've all fallen short of the glory, but we go back to the gospel of John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. Right? He, he He became sin who knew no sin. That whoever believes in Him, the Son, will not perish, like we're supposed to. For the wages of sin is death, but have eternal life. In fact, if you finish Romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We go back to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then we'll bring it back home again with Romans 3. Verse 23, for all have sinned, yes, and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24, however, continues and says, and are justified. So we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We like that verse because it lets everybody know, hey, we're all bad, and we forget this other verse. But we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption of 
that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is a beautiful, beautiful gift. Now, some of you are saying, well, I thought this was about Galatians, and you've read most of your verses from Romans. Let's talk about that. Galatians is sort of a summary of Romans, right? Romans really lays it all out. And Galatians is a reminder to the church of Galatia because they've forgotten these simple truths. And we're going to come back to that. But let's read the gospel in uh, Galatians chapter 2. So Galatians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 15. It says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. There are two words that you're going to notice. One that's mentioned a lot and then one right there at the end. Justification and righteousness. What does it mean to be justified? What does it feel like to be justified? Well, simply put, to be justified is to be made innocent, right? You're accused of a heinous crime, and you did it. And you go into the court, and you know, man, I'm getting 10, 15 years max. I'm not going to get to see anybody. That weight, right? It just pushes you down, pushes you down. And the judge looks across at you and says, hey, we've thrown the entire case out. You are innocent and free to go. What? What does that feel like for you to be justified on your own, right? So that you could walk into a courtroom and feel no fear at all. You would have had to follow the law perfectly your entire life. And we've already established that that is not possible, right? So the only way for you to justify yourself is to adhere to the law with 100% perfection. But all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's a gift, and that gift is this justification. You would have, or you would stand condemned on your own. And Galatians, right, the, the, the church of in Galatia has been taught right? They have been taught. These are all Gentiles, right? And in the eyes, I mean, we even read it, that first verse, I was born a Jew, right? That's what he says. We were born Jews and not like Gentile sinners, right? 
If, 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 if the Jews, the chosen people of God, have messed up, then the Gentiles definitely have, right? Because they don't know. And so, <laughs> we have to know. And Paul goes out of his way. His story is, is uh, uh, documented in Acts, and I believe it's 13 and 14, where he's in Galatia. And he is just how he does, preaching his heart out and letting people know Jesus is enough, right? Jesus is enough. And this group believes and are saved. Jesus' sacrifice is enough. And now, to be justified, we need to simply have faith that his sacrifice was enough. That's hard to do sometimes. That's really hard to do, to just rest, right? To just say, hey, you've got it. I don't like being the passenger in a car. I'd rather drive it, (laughs) right? Because then I'm in control. We need to move over and let God drive the car and have faith that he's going to get us where we need to go safely. It's the faith now that justifies us. We could not do it with the law. And so Jesus became sin and died. And now we believe that his sacrifice is enough and we become justified. You can walk into any courtroom with a list of all the sins that you've, always, that you've committed your entire life with peace because his sacrifice was enough for you. That's justification. Simply put, to be made innocent and all accusations made against you thrown out. Now, righteousness is a little bit different. Righteousness is a reconciliation of relationship, right? Uh, It is to be made right, uh, to be in a right relationship with God, to be forgiven and given a place in God's family. So let me uh, explain it like this. Maybe you guys have seen this. I watched this in school, so I will go out on a limb. Now, granted, I haven't seen this in a while, but I went to an Adventist school, and I watched this in school. So I think it's okay for kids. <laughs> but there's this movie, I wrote it down. There's a movie called uh, The End of the Spear. Anybody ever seen that? Anybody? Okay, no hands at all. Goodness. All right. This is the story. And this is, I, I believe, here on earth, this is the best way to describe and understand the difference between justification and righteousness and how those play uh, apart together. So End of the Spear is a story about a, a missionary family back in the 50s, right? And what they would do, I think it was in, in Chile, they went and they flew in and they would land in these really remote areas of the jungle, and they would go and they would try to evangelize these tribes that had no human contact, right? And so this family, they fly in, and these tribes sometimes, this actually just happened again recently in like 2018, sometimes these tribes are violent, right? Because they don't know, and when, you know, it can be scary, and they actually attacked and killed the father, and I think it was a bunch of them, it was like five men, and they, they, they killed them all, right? Now, The story of this movie is about the young boy who then grows up, follows in the footsteps of his father who was murdered by this tribe, and is called by God to go back to that tribe years later. Now he's a full-grown adult, and he does what his father did. He flies in, and by the grace of God, he's able to make contact and a positive contact with this group of people, and he not only uh, works with them and disciples them, right? So he meets the man who killed his father. 
They meet face to face. And he looks at the, the, the man who killed his father, and there is a forgiveness there. A forgiveness that only God can bestow, because I don't know if I could do that, but he does. And it's that grace, that forgiveness that, that is given to, that, to, the, to the, the tribal man. It changes that guy forever. So then there's this moment, like, that is, right, if you're following with me, that's the justification. That man did, in fact, kill that missionary's father. He did do it. But then the boy, now a man, looks him in the eyes and says, I forgive you. And it's a very emotional part of this movie. That is justification, where you did what you did, but God looks at you and says, you're okay. You are now justified. And we could leave it there. Wouldn't, like, it, that is good news, right? That's good news that we're justified, but what's great news is that we are also reconciled with God after that. That's the righteousness. What happens in this story after that is that this uh, now man missionary and this tribal uh, man, they become friends. They invite him back to the United States. They do Thanksgiving dinner with him. He is a regular part of the family. They call him uncle. That is to be, like, that's the righteousness. To not only be justified, but then to be made in a right relationship with God. Wouldn't we, if the story had only stopped with justification, we would have said, well, you know what? Praise God for that. He was able to forgive. But to invite him in the home, to meet his kids, to let him sleep in the same house, to be made one of the family, that seems to be that extra step that's hard. But God looks at you, sins a mile long, justifies you, but then invites you into his family as well. You are a child of God. That's the difference between good news and great news. It's a good movie. I think, you know, I don't, I remember, like I said, I watched it when I was in school, so it probably is okay for kids, but there is, you know, death. So, discretion. This grace, this great grace, results in transformation. That's the key of grace. You'll notice that when they invited this tribal man into their home, he was no longer trying to murder people because the grace he was shown changed his life. And grace, once accepted, once understood, changes people. It is transformational. So why is it at the end of chapter 2 that Paul goes out of his way to make a point to say that he does not put grace to the side, right? Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Why is Paul going out of his way to remind everybody what we might be thinking ourselves? We know this. We've got to read chapter 1 first, right? <laughs> chapter 1, uh, chapter 1, we get into uh, the fake good news. 
You see, the church in Galatia, uh, it was in now, it's now modern-day Turkey. It wasn't, it wasn't like a city. It was more of like a region, if that makes sense, right? Um, and so Paul spent a lot of time here. He worked with them. And what happened is once he was done, once the church was good and set and, 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 and in a healthy place, he moved on like he did. And then what happened was there was a group, we call them the Judaizers, and they showed up sneaky-like like they do. And they started to preach a fake gospel. It's interesting that usually, almost every single time, except in Galatians, Paul, as he's writing these letters, he says in his letters, Hi, this is Paul, a servant of God. And then he will do something where he's like, I praise God for you. I'm thinking of you guys and all the good things you're doing. He does that in every other book except Galatians. He just gets right into it. Why does he do that? Because he's mad. Because this group of people have allowed the Judaizers to come in and mess up everything. It says, uh, we'll start in verse 6. Because Paul does it. Hi, Paul, I'm an apostle, right? All of this stuff. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned." As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, which is what we all just spent this first part of the sermon talking about, let him be eternally condemned. The Judaizers had a different understanding of justification and righteousness. You see... This gospel message, the Bible says that it was for the Jews first and then the Gentile, right? It's that and then the Gentile part that they had an issue with. At first they fought it, right? You even see Peter fight it for a while, and then in Acts he sees the, the, all the different foods come down, and, 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 and in the vision it says Peter kill and eat, and he moves on from there realizing like I shouldn't, you know, call others unclean that God has called clean. Right? And, the, and the gospel message grows and it, and it blows up and it starts to spread all over. You see, people who've never heard of God are hungry for that because God brings peace and love and joy and, and, and all those things that they did not know about. And so, the Judaizers, they, I guess they concede, fine, if the Gentiles can have the message too, well, then they need to do the things that we do. The biggest one here the one that seemed to frustrate Paul the most, but among other things, of course, was this idea that all Gentiles need to be circumcised in order to be right with God. You see, at the end of the day, at the core of what they're saying is, hey, justification and righteousness, they are melded together and they are attained through the works of the law. And that's how you do it. And that's the one way to do it. You see, we've been doing this for a long time. I tell you, these people 
are convincing. You see, you know why? Because as Gentiles, they're new to this. But the Judaizers have been doing this since birth. We've talked before here in this church how it works, right? Children would be like brought to these schools and they would be taught and taught and taught their whole lives. And then they would follow a teacher. So they knew, quote unquote, what they were talking about, or at least they sounded like they did. But you see, they had it wrong. Simply put, they had it wrong. Jesus called each and every one of them out, right? That's why the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they put him to death because Jesus looks at them and is always saying, you're doing too much. There was the Ten Commandments, then there was the Law of Moses, and then there was all these extra laws that they began to add. Always the one that I, you know, the funniest one to go to is, is the amount of steps you could take on any given Sabbath, right? So if, if, if this is your front door and you're like 999, 1,000, and you can't get in your house, you got to wait until the sun goes down until you can get in your house. There's nowhere in Scripture. They added that, right? And now they're trying to push these beliefs on other people, right? Circumcision being one of them. That is a law that had been nailed to the cross that was not for the Gentiles. And yet, and yet, they masqueraded it as the gospel. Listen, you can still be justified, but this is how you do it. You got to do it our way. You can still be made righteous, but you got to follow the law to the letter. This is the gospel. And Paul comes in and it's like, there is one gospel and it is the gospel. I think last week I joked about like one of my like most hated or like most, hate is a strong word, but like the saying that I like, it just gets under my skin is like, well, my truth is this and their truth is that. It's like, there's only the truth. And Paul comes in and says, like, hey, there is only the gospel. There's not the this gospel and the that gospel. There is the gospel. There is only one good news. You see, the accusation or the concern of the Judaizers is that, hey, all of this grace is awesome. It's great. But Paul, what you need to worry about is that it's going to lead to lawlessness. This grace is going to actually cause more sin, Paul. You're too lenient. If you don't put parameters, if you don't, if you don't do check uh, the step one, step two, step three, all of these people will lead to sin. We will have perverted the gospel. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You see, there is a legitimate, quote unquote, concern from the Judaizers. You see in 1 John 3, 4, the gospel writers, again, or the, the, the New Testament writers, they kind of reiterate or, or bring up the thought that they're having. Well, it says, everyone who breaks the law, in fact, or everyone who sins, rather, breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Paul, if you take away the law, well, the absence of law is sin, Paul. So listen, we're going to come in and we're going to put this and we're going to put that and we're going to put this. And Paul is angry because he says, you've completely misunderstood 
the truth. You see, the Jewish religion is basically law, right? The first five books of the Bible that they held, and those were their scriptures, they were called the Torah, again, literally translated, the law. That's what they knew. That's all they had to go off of, and they were stuck to that even while Jesus himself was speaking to them and guiding them and discipling them and calling them to repentance. They would not do it. And even in this, where they concede and say, fine, the Gentiles can have the gospel too, but they got to do it our way. Chapter 1, 13 and 14, Paul talks about himself. He says, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried uh, to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Religion is not a bad thing, right? Somebody's going to, somebody is inevitably going to maybe misunderstand me today and want to talk to me later about this sermon. Religion's not bad, okay? Understand what I'm saying. But religion, absent from God who is love, becomes destructive. It's what we talked about last week. When you take love out of the equation, when you care more about the rules, it becomes destructive. Paul himself, by all outward, like, as people are looking at him, or Saul at that point, as they're looking at him, Everybody's saying, like, man, who is this guy? Look how young he is. And he's, like he said, he's advancing beyond his age and his years in Judaism. He's moving up. People are looking at him saying, that is a righteous person. Meanwhile, he's literally persecuting. He is killing people. I don't know if you've read the law, but one of the Ten Commandments is you shouldn't kill anybody. Do you see what happens? You get so blinded by your thing that you forget, actually, that the law is love. Jesus himself, when they asked, which is the greatest commandment? Hey, all right, listen, the whole law is summed up like this. Jesus is talking to the people. The law is summarized to love God and love people. Notice, love, right? The law is love. So if you, if you take love out and keep the law, only you have a problem. If you are putting law into places where Jesus' sacrifice was enough, then you love the law more than you love Jesus. The concern of the Judaizers is that all of this grace will lead, right, as you, as you chip away at the law. This, and mind you, the Torah is about this big, but their laws could fill like a whole room at this point. Remember that. Remember that context, okay? We're not throwing out the Ten Commandments or anything like that. When you take away love from the equation, it it becomes destructive. As you 
right? Paul is saying again, listen, or the Judaizers are saying, as you chip away at the law, and if just everybody gets off scot-free with this grace that, that you're talking about, Paul, it's going to lead to lawlessness. And that makes sense. It makes sense when you don't understand grace because grace is meant to transform you. Look at Paul. Paul's a great example of this. Verse 21 says, uh, Later I went to Syria and Sicilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Grace changes a person. Paul became more aligned with the actual law of God when he experienced true, unfiltered grace. It changed him to the very core of who he was. Again, we like that verse that sin is lawlessness, but we neglect the ones that follow it. 1 John 3, 4, and 6, everyone who breaks the law, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Amen? Amen. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. I'm going to read it again. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. One more time, right? No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. There is filtered grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is a grace that's not really grace. People haven't experienced or understood the grace that they were given. Those are the people who will trickle down into lawlessness, perhaps, because they don't know. They don't know. But it is impossible to live in Christ and sin. The opposite is happening. Are you understanding what I'm saying? The, the, Paul, if you talk about grace and we give grace and God gives grace, then lawlessness. And Paul is saying absolutely not. The opposite is true. If you receive grace, if you meet Christ, you can't sin anymore. You, you just can't do it. And if you mess up, And if you backslide, guess what? You come to the Father and you are justified, right? So you are made blameless. And you might feel far from God, that he's not hearing you, that that you have messed up so much, so far beyond... uh, being fixed 
And then being made righteous comes in. You are made a son or a daughter of Christ. And when you experience that grace, it changes a person. Knowing Christ is to know grace. And knowing and experience grace leads to justification. And justification leads to being made right with God. That is the righteousness. The righteous, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ living in you. And again, Paul is upset. Verse 21 of chapter 2. I do not set aside the grace of God, right? As some people would want me to do, right? That's what he's implying. The Judaizers would want me to set grace aside. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing, And I don't know where you are in your life experience, but God doesn't just do things for nothing. There's always a purpose. There's always something to be learned. And we might ask, well, how come Paul can speak with such authority over the Judaizers? Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 1. In his greeting, Paul, an apostle, Sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me. Verse 10. Verse 10 says, as he's talking about everybody who's there, he's like, listen, If I wanted to please the Judaizers, sure. Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Verse 11, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. Verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. If God has ultimate authority over truth, who are we to say otherwise? Who are we to teach otherwise? John chapter 8, 36. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. There are people who will try to put you back in chains. We do it to ourselves. I don't know if you just get comfortable for a while or maybe you think like, again, like just to trust can be difficult sometimes. You think I'm not doing enough, so let me try to do something. And we put things on us that God has never asked us to do. We put ourselves back in chains. We allow others to put us back in chains. We allow others to speak lies over us. Why do we believe other people when we should believe what God says about us? You are my son, you are my daughter, and I have justified you. Come home. 
You see, I, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give the Judaizers the benefit of the doubt that they had decent intentions. Sure. Probably not. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And really what I'm doing is I'm giving us the benefit of the doubt. We might have good intentions, right? And we might think that we're trying to do the right thing or do the right thing, and we maybe want to talk to other people and put them in a box, and we don't preach to them the gospel first. We preach to them the other stuff first. But there are people who are in prison who need to be let free first. And so we might have good intentions. We might be thinking we're going the right direction, doing the right thing, and you end up going north on 75 for nine miles when you should have gone south from the beginning. Or maybe you end up running to third base first and then second and then first. You have good intentions or you think you're doing the right thing, you're trying to do the right thing, and God is saying, listen, just listen to what I'm saying, and you're going to get there on time, and you're going to go the right way. Right there are coaches screaming, go the other way. Listen. Listen to the GPS. Listen to the coaches. Listen to God. Save you time. Save you, uh, save you heartache. We should always move forward. I think the frustration of Paul is that he watches a group of people who he loves accepting a backwards movement. And Paul is calling them at that time to move forward. And I'm calling us today to move forward. The only way to do that is with Jesus. We're going we're gonna to continue to find this in the book of Galatians. Jesus over everything. The only way we can do that is with Jesus. So, uh, if it is your desire today to take that step, maybe it's a, for the first time, or say, hey, I'm going to get back on the right way around the bases here and follow Jesus, I just want you to, I want you to stand with me as we pray. So, if that's your desire today, uh, feel free to stand as we pray. Our most kind and heavenly Father, Jesus, I do things wrong. God, sometimes I put things on myself and I put things on other people that you have not called me to do. God, I pray for myself and I pray for this church and the individuals that make up this church. Lord, that um, if we are running around the bases backwards, or maybe we're headed north and we should go south. Lord, that you would arrest us where we are right now. God, that we would experience true, unfiltered grace. God, there are people here who, whether they've admitted it to anyone or not, are struggling with sin today. And God, I ask that that pure, pure grace would meet them where they are on their road to Damascus God, that you would knock them off the horse, that you would blind them, that you would show them who you are. God, that as you live in us, it would become impossible to sin. Lord, I pray that we would know a peace 
that passes all understandings because we are not only justified, but made righteous through your son, Jesus. Thank you for allowing us into your family, for setting a place at the table for us. And thank you because as you have revealed in scripture, you will come again and bring us home. Lord, we pray that that is soon. In your name, amen.